Hey, y'all. Welcome to another episode of the When the Cleats Come Off podcast. Wowza. I just got off an interview with one of my favorite coaching mentors in the game. He coached me at Purdue, JT Gasso, who is now the current hitting coach at Oklahoma. Yes, he is the son of Patty Gasso, legendary coach at Oklahoma. And we had a flipping awesome conversation. We talk about what the championship mindset at Oklahoma means to the team and how they go about implementing that into their season. What was the tipping point for him to want to start coaching in the game? What's it like having your mom as your boss? I think it's so crucial to be able to see how people started and you know how the experiences have molded them into who they are. Also, he talks about how he implements positivity and quality at bats and different types of mentalities for his hitters to be able to be ready to perform on the biggest stage. So he shares a little bit of information about that. He even tells us what a typical practice is like at Oklahoma for hitters. This conversation was so stinking awesome to have with him. And it was amazing how much insight he's giving on hitting the insight he's giving on mentality. It was such an awesome conversation, and I can't wait for you to hear it. Here is my conversation with hitting coach at Oklahoma, JT Gasso. Hey there, I'm Ashley Burkhart, owner of Ashley V Training, former D1 athlete and professional athlete in the game of softball. I even spent a little bit of time coaching at the college level as well, but Now I coach athletes and especially youth athletes, and I try to teach them the ways to become the very best versions of themselves. And I know that they can't do that without a support system that will do anything and everything to make sure their dreams and their goals happen for them. A lot of times I hear parents and coaches saying, hey, I'm just going to dish my athlete off to you. Hopefully you can figure out what her issue is. Here's the deal. That's not how we should coach. That's not how we should parent. And I can tell you right now, I'm not a parent, but your athlete is the most influenced by you. And I truly believe that you are one of the reasons why she plays the game. And I truly believe you are one of the reasons why she plays so hard. So if we can learn from some of the greats, I'm going to have some of the best softball players, some of the best softball players, parents, even my parents and my family are going to be on this podcast sharing our journeys with you so that when the cleats do come off, you know what to say so that she can learn from her mistakes sooner so that she can become the best version of her. And that's what we want. We want our athletes to be able to thrive. And that's why we're here. So welcome to this podcast. This is going to get real. This is going to get deep. And I'm here to challenge your thinking. That's why I coach. I'm really excited for you to be here, and I can't wait to hear who else is going to be along this journey with us, learning from some of the best. I'm going to be learning too. So whip out your notebook, and let's head to the next episode. Hey, everyone, and welcome to another episode of When the Cleats Come Off podcast. I'm your host, Ashley Burkhart, and I have the privilege of making my very first interview for the podcast, be one of my great coaching friends and mentors, JT Gasso. JT is currently the offensive and outfield coach at Oklahoma University. 
He has four Big 12 season titles, two Big 12 tournament titles, and two national championships in 2016 and 2017. It is now, I believe, your sixth year at Oklahoma. If we count last season, that's kind of, yeah, COVID makes it confusing, but I am honored, honored, honored to have JT as my first guest on the podcast. Uh, JT, thanks so much for being here. This is going to be so much fun. Uh, What I respect most about you is the fact that when I was a young athlete at Purdue and you were an assistant coach for me, it was so amazing having a coach that was always willing to learn more about yourself and how to make us better. And just having that mentality of always wanting to know more was just, it fed into me in ways that you probably don't even realize, but I loved it. And so if you could share with everybody just a little bit of your coaching journey from the very beginning to the end, I'm going to give the floor to you to kind of share what your journey has been to become the coach that you are now at Oklahoma. Yeah. So, uh, for my coaching journey, um, I think like, at least for me, it's kind of what shaped me is growing up. I wasn't really like a baseball kid and I, it was funny just kind of going back and forth with my friends. They're just like shocked. Like, how could you not, like, we played with you, you did all these things, like, how you're not a baseball kid, but I wasn't, I just, I didn't really, I couldn't sit and watch baseball games, I was a huge Dodger fan, loved watching them play, but growing up, it was all about OU softball, and it was, okay, I know everyone's name, everyone's number, where they're from, their position, blah, 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 I know, like, I can still remember um, old opponents in the Big 12, and, you know, is uh so i was a huge ou softball fan but also i love basketball and football baseball was like not really a thing so growing up um you know going through in high school got into baseball um i figured okay five eight little cat little guy like that probably doesn't have five eight five nine five ten with cleats i would say <laughs> but doesn't really have a shot in any of those sports so i started to um, focused more on baseball, started to get into it, um, loved it. And then I got an opportunity to go play at Eastern Oklahoma State College in Wilberton, Oklahoma, tiny, tiny school uh, in Eastern Oklahoma. And it was easily the best sports experience I've ever had in my entire life. Um, just because I grew up, I learned what hard work was, I learned the game, I learned strategy, how to train, like all these cool things. Um, and what's interesting is my then coach is now the assistant at Florida, Eric Thomas, and pretty cool to have that connection back into the sport. Um, but then, so from there, I went to East Central University, which is a two school in Ada. So my playing experience wasn't like a glitz and glamour. Like we'd be lucky if we had like five, six people in the stands. And, uh, but it was cool because it kind of, shaped me into you know you, you're very grateful for the things you had like we would get crazy we would go crazy if we got like dry fit shirts and they weren't even like nike or like name brand they were like a4s and yeah it was a huge thing when we got those so um anyway after i got done playing um i didn't really have any opportunities in baseball um just kind of backtracking from there i did a lot of camps during the summer when i was in college so OU softball camps, UCLA, LSU, and uh, I did some like high school, like local organization, third party organization stuff. But 
I, it was more at the time was like, okay, I really need to make some money. Um, I, I don't have a lot. I need to pay rent. I need to pay for gas, or, you know, do all these things. So um, I, I was really putting my foot in the door and kind of cementing that softball mind without really even knowing that I was doing it. So, um, you know, fast forward, I get done playing. Uh, there was a couple, you know, baseball opportunities, but I just kept getting drawn more to softball. And, you know, my mom at the time was like, look, like, you grew up in this program. You already know um, the expectations. Um, I think you'd be really good, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, yeah, whatever. Cool. This is legit. And you get, for, you know, you get all these things, grad school paid for, you know, whatever. So I was like, yeah, I'm in. Uh, so from there, I went to uh, be a GA at OU. And I was really spoiled because my first two years, or my only two years, it was World Series final national championship i was like oh yeah that's what you know you're supposed to do everywhere and and whatnot so i got really really spoiled in that setting and uh and from there kim shooty gave me the opportunity at purdue which is where i think you were a junior um at the time and got to spend one year in west lafayette loved it and then uh jackie joseph at michigan state called and just it was an opportunity i couldn't pass up um got to be a recruiting coordinator, hitting coach, manage the defense. But I think what was really cool was my then fiance, Andrea Harrison at the time, um, we got to coach together. And that was huge. That was one of the best coaching experiences I've had just because I really got to test, like really push myself and test like, if the information that I was getting or giving was right. And you can see what works, what doesn't work. And um, I mean, our record really didn't show it. I think we're 19 and 30 something or 20 something. I don't really know, but um, I really loved getting to work with those girls just because it, they really bought in. And I mean, we, we did, we improved from the year before, which is really all you can ask for. And, got to like Stephanie Sanders, uh, who's now at, uh, Penn, oh, she is Penn State. Um, yeah. And, uh, got to you know, work with a lot of other really successful people there. So then from there, um, I got hired my, it was crazy. Uh, I was getting ready to go out to Colorado and, you know, my mom calls and she's like, Hey, um, the job's open. I want to interview you for it. I was like, oh, you know, like stomach drops and you're like, Oh, you know, like I'm not ready or, you know, all these kind of things. And then, um, you know, long story short, we accepted the job, um, came in 2016, uh, and won. That was crazy. 2017, we did it again, 2018, you know, world series and then 2019 world series final. And that was that 2019 team was really not like, the other teams weren't fun. That 2019 team was, was really cool because, um, you know, Sid Romero, Shea, Knighton, Fale of you, Reagan Rogers, Kylie Lumberg, like all of them were freshmen when I was like a freshman at OU almost like you think about it, like I'm first year coach at OU, like first year coach in the, we were, buying a house. We're going to get married. Andre and I were going to get married. We're doing all these things. So like we all came in new and then we just went through it together. So that was like my first starting like class. Um, 
and that, yeah, that year was fun. And then, you know, last year got cut short and here we are today sitting down with you. So man, that, what a journey. I mean, you have to be able to, one thing that you said that I wanted to unpack is when you got the call from your mom to interview and you were saying, you're not ready. Are we ever really ready? Like for that, for that next step? So it's so funny you say that. Cause that was the literal exact quote that, you know, I, I would, I said to Andrea, I was like, you're never really ready. You just do it. And then you figure it out kind of from where you're at. So it's, you know, like people and kind of everything like, you know, like kids like, Oh, am I ready to drive? Like, no, you're not ready to drive. That's why insurance rates are so high. <laughs> like, but you just do it and you figure it out. And same thing with, you know, uh, work and relationships and just kind of everything. And so, yeah, that was like the quote was like, yeah, you're, never really ready, but you just do it. Yeah. I mean, straight up this podcast, was I ready to launch one? I told you before we even recorded, I, this is my first interview. I'm probably going to screw up, but you know what? We need interviews and there's no better person right now to start it than you. But that's exactly what my mindset was when I started this podcast. I have no idea how it's going to happen, but it's going to because it's needed. And I think that's a really cool testament and a big lesson that anybody can learn from, whether you're just learning the game or you're a coach or a parent in the game. Uh, so I think that's a really, really awesome lesson that we can all learn from your story. Um, another, another little tidbit I want to throw in there, like Andrea was not just a softball player. She was a two-time All-American from one of the best organizations in the country, UCLA. Yeah, she, uh, she, she has the juice in the family. Like she. <laughs> got it like she her name holds some weight so it's uh it's pretty funny because um yeah when it comes to like athleticism it's not me it's her <laughs> <laughs> like when the kids go to hit I'm like hey go to your mom like do you guys go over there with her but you're the one? you're the hitting coach at Oklahoma I think that's just the funniest thing ever um so uh, one thing I want to talk about with you is hitting because you were not my hitting coach in college you did not have the reins but I feel like when it came down to confidence in myself, when I started really um, becoming the hitter that I became, it really kind of sparked with you. And I'm not just saying this because I'm interviewing you right now. I remember when we would do extra BP and you would throw it to me all the time. You were not afraid to call me out when I'm doing something. And I think previously it was kind of just like, oh, figure it out on your own, figure it out on your own. But you being here and especially, I mean, Jay and Kim, they did a great job of helping me mold me as well. But you never were afraid to give me feedback. And I think as an athlete, that was probably my favorite thing about you. And I will not forget, there was one hitting session that we had. You probably have no recollection of this at all. But at the end of a practice, I think we just hit off of like live pitching. So you were throwing, somebody else was throwing, and I was on your um, your front toss and your pitching. And afterwards, Jay was like, so JT, who is your favorite hitter today and why? And like, you just like called out my name, you and I working together and you calling out great cues for me. It really helped me decide and make great decisions in the box. And I really attest a lot of my greatness in the box eventually to how much you believed in me and how much you were willing to kind of call me out when I needed it or give me the right cues. Um, so I'm curious. So with hitters that you're working with right now at Oklahoma, first question I wanted to ask is when you get these hitters, when they come in as freshmen, 
are you doing much to mold their swing or are you really just helping create, um, you know, better versions of what they already have? Yeah. So there, it, it's so funny. Um, we just got done testing and, uh, so basically what we're doing is like right now in the, we just started practice last week and, uh, we, we got a bunch of stuff. We got, you know, their movement profiles, uh, we we got their exit speeds of different speeds how they perform and you know all these things so um we're basically going to go to our next phase which is just kind of like build the engine a little bit so more of like building like your uh, your rotational power and trying to sequence right and trying to do all these things so i say that because i think that it's not me who should be molding the hitters, the hitters should be molding themselves. So if there's things that are happening, then just basic problem solving is you're going to figure out a solution to it. And there's some things that we'll talk about, like, hey, um, you know, here's how you want to initiate your swing, or you know, we'll talk some mechanical things like that. And you know, one of the things that always stood out to me was uh, you can't tell somebody to do something that they can't physically do because then you're just going to make them more frustrated. So figuring out what people can physically do and can't do. And so there's, there's some people that come in with, uh, what I would think are like, they're not, it's not working for them. And so I, it's not up to me to figure that out. It's up to them to figure that out. So we won't really make changes until they say, Hey, this isn't working. What can I do different? So like we have a athlete right now who she came in, she has a big, you know, big step. Oh, she has like, you know, a step in the bucket. A lot of people would say, right. Um, but her freshman year, she's all, all American. So it's like, my biggest thing is I don't want to take something away from someone that might make them, successful and comfortable and so you know she was able to maintain a good stretch uh, her her direction was good she's doing all these things that were really good she's still able to hit it and everyone's like, well what about the outside pitch and sure enough, she just figured it out she figured out how to do it so um when people come in we don't do like okay everything you do sucks let's figure it out let's start all over it's let's make what you do better and build you from there. So changes that they make might come from themselves or I might like just suggest something, but it's, it doesn't ever stick unless it comes from them or they want, they want it to stick. If that makes sense. That's amazing. And it really helps athletes find ownership in their own swing as well. I think when people doubt themselves at the box, it's because you know, they're given all these cues or these things to think about when really they should just figure it out on their own and have that freedom. And that's where confidence comes from in the box, I feel like. And you have some of the most confident hitters in the world. Straight up. Well, well, you would think that sometimes you gotta, it's just all about, sometimes it's about the outward, like expression of it. You know, sometimes they're just not really feeling confident, but it's just, you gotta just fake it till you make it type of thing. So yeah. yeah. So what do you cue? Let's say um, the offense in a game is kind of cold. Is there Are there things that you say as their coach um, to help them get out of the funk or do you make them figure it out on their own? So if we, okay, so um, 
let's say that we, we always go into a game with a game plan, or at least knowing what somebody's able to do. And within the first inning, we should know if our game plan fits to what's happening or if we need to adjust it. So anything that, you know, we'll say to the, that we'll say to the team is more hitting on like the tactical piece, meaning like the in-game, how are you going to beat who you're facing? There might be some individual people that I'm like, hey, try, hey, you're just missing, here's what you got to do, you know, or some things like that. But um, once you get into the game, if uh, a mechanical cue or like a technical cue, um, you can't, ex like, there's no way that you can compete while still trying to hold on to those pieces. Because I think that's a big part of the game, at least um, that we see when kids come in, is that competition part um, is totally gone when they step into the box. And it's like, okay, I want to do my elbow here. I need this. I want my barrel. I'm like, just freaking hit. And if you put the work in on the, the, the back end, or sorry, the front end, then what you're going to see happen in the game is just going to like, it, you're, swing is like reflexive it just happens and you can just do it how you're you're training it to happen i love that so do you have athletes who let's say have a terrible performance in a weekend or in a game that come up to you and they say jt i need to figure this out and they just ask you to come to the cage and do some extra work yeah so we'll i always will ask them like you know we swing at good pitches and not even necessarily like strikes some people like sid romero is a really good bad ball hitter like yeah. people with eyes balls and she'd go like this and mm -hmm. hit them out right so be like did you swing were you hitting at pitches that you thought you could hit where was your game plan on so kind of what we talk about uh is there's like three things that we really cue in on and it's your like approach so oh i guess your game plan so if you're watching a pitcher and you're seeing what they're doing and are you picking up tendencies? Are you picking up how the ball's moving? Are you pick, picking up how they're pitching you, right? So is your game plan on? Are you right in what they're doing? Can you kind of almost predict what they're doing? Is your approach right? Meaning like, well, how are you going to, um, how are you going to attack your game plan? So like if someone throws a drop ball and I feel like I need to get under it um, or I need to change my posture. It's like, is your approach right? And then mentally, are you in a right space? So we tell them was like those three things, like your mentality, your approach, and your game plan. If you have all three of those, you're in a pretty good space. And you're going to, even if you don't get a hit in four at-bats, you were picking up something or you were having success that was helping somebody else. So if those three things aren't there, then it's like, hey, I keep missing. And somebody's like, I keep missing rise balls or change-ups or whatever. Then we can go in and say, okay, let's look and see, um, like, are you able to keep your load? And low, are you loading in the right places? Are you getting maintaining a good stretch? So um, a lot of times they can figure that on their own. But um, there are times when they'll say, like, hey, I'm missing this. Can you help me? on this or I'm, I feel like I'm doing this, but I'm not. So um, it's just a lot of educating. And that's what we try and do in the fall is we try and give them the information to where we come in the spring. Um, they know they can pinpoint exactly what it is that they need to work on. 
That's awesome. And so every year it's pretty much the same game plan. You teach them in the fall and then you let them just do their thing in the spring. So when it comes to your training, and I guess I should ask, you know, which part, let's just say it's the fall because that's where they're doing most of the, the work. But when you are training, is it more drill based? Is it more just getting the reps in? What are you spending the most time on in the fall? So kind of like where we're at right now, we talked about like building that engine, right? So we're going to be doing more of like workouts just because of the, the, the time that we have, we only have four hours a week to work with them. So if I can give them the information and saying like, okay, this is what we're looking for. And everyone's going to be a little bit different. Everyone will feel a little bit different, but when you're looking, this is what you're trying to look at. And this is what you want to feel. And these are the body parts that you want to feel it, right? So, like, if I turn and I can, I can feel that stretch going through my core and my shoulder, right? So, um, we'll do a lot of things that are like testing that in the sense of, okay, we're gonna, we want you to really initiate with your hips right now. Okay, let's feel where you're, um, where you're tight, and then we're just rolling through it. So, like, I was thinking this next week, it's so funny you asked this question because I've been thinking about this for like the past couple of days <laughs> and it's going to be like, okay, we're going to do a lot of like, um, kind of like over speed where they're going to be doing like getting some momentum. It's like happy Gilmore drills and with a lighter bat and really, or, you know, those like swing sticks, you remember, you know, like you hold them out, your parents will hold them out and then yes. you, you hit it and, so, and then they go with it and they bring it back and hold it right over the middle. But we'll grab, we'll take some of those and do like happy Gilmore swings into a bag, like a punching bag. And it just creates some, and we just like hit it as hard as you can. And we just show them and sometimes they'll self-organize on their own. And then, you know, we'll be doing some stuff with the, the bat and some movement things, but then it's like, okay, test it on on a live pitch so i mean this session might last like you know 30 minutes and then we're adding crowd noise uh, like i'm going to add some big crowd noise into it or maybe something that is could be distracting so not only are we training like the physical part of it but we want to train the mental part of it like can you focus and hey if you if you're not getting the direction right or you're not doing these drills right and you're not listening to what's happening then you're going to be in like a timeout or something or you have something to do so my big thing is trying to train multiple like aspects of it in a tiny amount of time that we have so long i guess the, the to answer your question um it's not necessarily like we're going to spend 30 minutes doing like this one drill and then we'll move on we're going to set up like two we'll have two cages so with COVID we're only allowed eight people in the indoor so we'll have four people inside working on two cages and it's like all right here's what here's what this is going to look like here's the directions now do it and then they figure it out start to figure it out on their own and then once we start to get in the spring um, it's all about training and getting a feel for what you're going to face and then addressing deficiencies that you might have. So like, if you know you're facing a rise ball pitcher, you'll do a lot of rise ball work that week, things like that. 
Exactly. And if there's some things like, Hey, as a team, we're struggling with, with hitting off speed, then we might, you know, hit that um, as well. But a, a lot of it comes from, uh, it comes from the players because they know how they're feeling. They know what they want to feel. They know what they need to work on. So um, we try and give them that information in the fall. So come spring, there's not a lot of guesswork. It's like, Hey, I know that you want to work on this, but can we mix this in too? Uh, we're just feeling this as a team or, you know, whatever. So, so yeah, a lot of um, like more like challenges in the fall to kind of get them going and thinking in that and self-organizing in that direction. And then come the spring, it's more geared towards what we're trying to accomplish. So. I love that as a staff, you guys are spending the time to listen to what the girls want. Um, I think that's so crucial and so important for any coaches at any level. It's if an athlete feels like her drop step is bad, I'm just thinking about outfield, then we need to address that. And, and she's probably not the only one feeling that same thing with hitting. If the hitters feel like, Hey, this, you know, curveball for some reason, we're not attacking it the way we know we can. Can we spend time on it? And you as a coaching staff are like, okay, like, let's put that into our practice plan. That's amazing. That's amazing. Because again, it's really giving the ownership to the athlete over, you know, how are they going to be able to be confident in the box? Oh, knowing that they put in the work on the thing that they know they needed help with, that's going to be confidence in itself. Um, one other thing I wanted to backpack um, from what you said was the fact that you were um, working on, you know, when you were talking about building the engine and working on the crowd noise and implementing the mental game with the physical game at the same time, that's... I think an athlete's dream, knowing that you don't even are, you don't even think you're working on the mental game, but you are. Are there any other mental game strategies that in a practice you'll do other than adding crowd noise um, that are kind of fun that people can maybe pick up on and start doing? Yeah. So um, over over the COVID break, we did a lot of kind of researching and just trying to pick up things that were going to help us improve. And I spent a lot of time looking at like the brain. And if you, I mean, you go on YouTube, look at uh, Andrew uh, Huberman. He's a neuroscientist at Stanford. I mean, it's amazing. And just working on controlling your breath in very adverse situations is like, a, you think about that. I would think of that as being like a mental um, uh, training tool. So uh, I saw a drill. It's not a drill, but <laughs> it's like you throw somebody in an ice bath and they're in there. And, you know, when you're in there, you're like, oh, but if you can control your breath in that setting, then you're like, now you're, you can control it in a lot of different settings. And so he works with, you know, some military personnel and athletes and, you know, all these things. So I'm not saying we're dunking our girls in ice baths or whatever but i'm just saying like you can put them in a very adverse situation and just work on like hey control your breath so um hey do 50 jump ropes and now let's let's reel it in let's control our breath or working on okay here's the task follow this these directions while trying to distract them with things so you work on that focus piece because I talk a lot about how your focus can be um, very like, you think of like people's game face, right? Like you think of um, 
Braun has a game face. Kobe has a game face. Um, different pitchers, like I remember Andy Pettit, you know, his glove was up at his eyes. But they're talking about how when you're locked in like that, it's a brain state, right? Like your brain is – like your eyes are literally brain. They're, your eyes are your eyes. Your brain – that's why you can tell a lot of stuff from people's eyes because it's literally directed in their brain. Like this is that's totally on a amazing. So I'm probably like ruining your podcast no, right now. No, I – love it i love it because i thought i was really cool and you know wore eye black and thought that that gave me an edge and everything but no, I'm just <laughs> i just i joke about it because you know i just feel a certain way when i wear it you know and i want to give that game face look when i when i have it on and yes i love to joke i love to have fun but like when i'm in the box there's no there's no messing with my game face like i need to intimidate i need to at least pull off this thought that I'm actually awesome <laughs> um, in order to, to do well. But it's amazing that that's something that you said, Andrew Huberman, he taught you like it's, it's a he, correlation of. Yeah, it's not like I'm like reached out. So I'm like, Hey, hey. Oh, right. I, I know yeah. you studied it. And that's again, a testament to you're always learning new things. Um, but you know, first person that I think of is Kat Osterman. Like she hides herself behind her glove and it is the most fierce eye glare you can ever imagine and actually hitting against her when I played in the pro league I was so distracted by that that I didn't even focus on myself my first at bat against her but right. it's a really powerful tool and that's yeah. that's that's so interesting that you can throw that in there and also controlling your breath it's as easy as doing 50 jumping jacks or 50 jump ropes and then going to have to execute something it's, it's yeah. as easy as that. That's some of my favorite work that I love to do with some of my athletes now. And it's it's easy mental preparation, but also they have no idea you're working on the mental game at all, which I think is right. the key. Yeah. And, and one thing that, I mean, we, we wouldn't try it here, but I was always wondering like what it would be like to train in in the rain, like literally like have it be raining and then like, oh, but like you gotta, there's a sense of like lock-in that you gotta do when that's, that's happening too. So to me, the one thing I were that I really picked up on was like the distracting part and trying to get like get away from like a panoramic. So you think of people who are like they can look and see who's in the crowd and see who's doing this or like oh like when your vision gets like panoramic like that, usually it's like eyes wide and you like you can see who are scared in those situations, right? But then the people whose eyes like narrow in those game faces. And that's, I think if we're saying like, Oh, that's important. Get your game face. If you've never practiced it before, you can't just expect it just to like show up if somebody doesn't can't do it. Right. <laughs> so. That's so good. It's like the tunnel vision. Sometimes when I work with athletes on a big open field for the first time after, you know, doing some cage work, they get outside themselves and they start popping up like crazy and they wonder what's going on. And it's really the mental focus of pretend like you're still in a cage, pretend like you're still trying to drive it up the middle or get inside the ball. That's the only way you're going to be able to hit productively from going from cage mindset to the field. It's you still have to have that focus on, you know, what is it, that job that you're trying to execute without trying to get distracted by the fact that there's now two fifteen fences and all these other things. Um, that's really awesome. I love that. Um, so I was curious when I was writing up questions to ask you, one of my favorite things that you did for us was we put up QABs in the, uh, in the dugout. 
So we would track our quality at bats. Um, can you describe to the audience what a QAV is and why you track it or you like to track okay, it? Okay, so it's it's funny because that was one of the things um, that I just did like on my own. It's very subjective in my opinion what it was. But um, my thing is, and it all came back to when I was a GA, Steve, speak, uh, Steve Springer, his CDs were huge. They were just starting to blow up. And one of the things he's like, you know, quality of bats win, hit the ball hard, you win, you know, all those things. So at OU, I started to track like, okay, how many hard hits does it take to, you know, win a game or, you know, whatever. So at OU, with the type of pitching that we had with Kehlani on the mound, it was like, okay, if we had five hard hit balls, we we're going to win the game. And it's crazy. If you think about it, like five hard hit balls or in quality soft, whatever. And, and then you think we didn't have ball tracking, like we didn't have radars or nothing like that. So it was very subjective. What I thought was a hard hit ball. Would count. So, um, you know, at Purdue, what we would do when, I, like, I just kind of did it on my own and kind of kept it for my own, like continued it. So my biggest thing is, Okay, if we're talking about things that you can control, right? Batting average is not one of them. You can't control whether or not you get hits. Um, you can't control that whether, you know, after you hit the ball, you can't control really what happens. So my biggest things were, okay, you can control what pitch you swing at, how hard you swing, and just like your overall like attentiveness to what's happening. So um, I would track like, okay, what are some things that would exemplify that? So hard hit ball, a walk, um, a hit by pitch, uh, a hit, like, let's say I don't, I don't hit the ball hard and, and it go, it drops or a flare or whatever. I'd count it. And so basically what I'm trying to do is add way more positives to an offensive outcome than negatives. Meaning like, okay, here are all the things that you can do and the only bad things are getting out or striking out or, you know, whatever. So, um, so anyway, to, to us, we define a quality of bat and this is all outcome based, right? So it's a walk, um, a hit by pitch, executing off of our card or our play. Um, so that might be like a hit and run or run and hit or, you know, whatever. Um, a sack bunt, a bump for a hit. I think I said hard hit ball, but basically anything that's good that gets you on first base or helps, you know, your team out. And what was so funny was, you know, we're trying to make, get it all process oriented. So, okay, if we add all these really good outcomes, then maybe we'll buy into the process in 2016. That's literally all it was, was like hard hit balls, hard hit balls, hard, and we didn't care. So what was crazy was our average team average was like at one point three sixty or three seventy, but our but our home runs were like kind of like I think top twenty in the country or you know something like that. Um, and so <laughs> when you look at like the overall run production as to years that we had high home runs to 2016 where it was like kind of medium to high you know maybe like a little above average i think i, I forget how many we had that year but um the run production is the same so if the run production is the same then 
I mean, you must be, you know, there's many different ways to score runs. So tracking the quality at bats really helps people in there and come away with positives from their at bats. Like, Hey, I hit the ball hard. It just got caught. Oh, well, or man, that was a bump for, that was a great bunt, um, sack bunt. I get to first base, throw me out. Awesome. I did a really good job. So just put it, adding more, um, positive outcomes to at bats and then tracking that. Okay. How many quality at bats does it take to win a game or, you know, hard hit balls or, you know, whatever. But, um, but yeah, that was really big for me early on tracking that because it really like showed like everyone says, Oh, trust the process, trust. But it's like, what is the process? Like that's such like a buzzword, you know, like trust the process. Well, what is it? And it's so subjective for everyone. Like, well, the process is, you know, getting hits. Like to me, it's not, everyone might be a little different to me. It's not. So I think when we start tracking that and having people really like excel and take things from that, um, helped our hitters a lot. Yeah. It was one of my favorite things. I think going up to the box knowing, Hey, just hit it hard or quality at bat, quality at bat. If I can remind myself to do that, I'm in a much easier space, but if I'm putting pressure on myself to try to execute or try to go for an outcome, it never works. And one thing that I notice a lot, especially with parents, um, and even coaches, they're so, they think so much outcome based that it takes away from the amount of positives that are actually happening. And I, I truly believe that an athlete is going to pick up on that if a parent or a coach is so outcome-based based on, hey, you went 0 for 4, but wait, what if you just hit four line drives to the center fielder? Like, I don't think there's anything wrong with hitting the ball hard four times. So being able to say you went 4 for 4 in quality of bats, it's it's so uplifting for a hitter to be able to say, did I do all the things that I wanted to do? Did I execute my plan? Did I hit the ball hard? Yes. Was I out? Well, yeah, someone got in the way. Well, you still won the battle. You still won. So I think we need to get away as just a softball mentality wise, just in general, we need to get away from the fact that it's not about whether you got a hit or not. It's about whether you executed something for your team or you executed your plan or, you know, you just hit the ball hard. There's so many more positives we can take away from that. And, you know, playing a game that's mostly failure, being able to take away positives from even what some people would qualify as failure is legendary and epic. So I think that's that was one thing that you helped me realize when I was an athlete. It's not about whether I get a hit, it's whether I hit the ball hard. Well, I, I want to add one more thing. I think it's about winning, too. And I'm not saying like, oh, it's all, you know, cutthroat, do or die. But adding an aspect into the game where you are prioritizing, you know, winning. And if, if my whole team is locked in on that, then I'm going to, I'm going to really, my urgency and focus goes way up and I'm really focusing on things that are going to help me win. And, um, you know, I was watching like USA softball put out a video, um, of the 1992 or 94, I think it was 94, uh, ASA championship and it was crazy awesome like Stacy Newman was uh like a junior I think senior junior uh no no I think she was young but anyway um point is like they were physically 
like they, the swings might not have looked right or the, the fundamentals or, you know, whatever the, it was behind, who cares? But the fact that they were like, so like locked in on winning was made it like, holy smokes. This was like the golden age of softball. Cause it was just purely about like playing. There's no one in the stands. They're playing at, um, and, uh, hall of fame, which was, I mean, it was still a great stadium, probably the best, the best in the country at the time, but they had no side stands. It was all, um, you know, grass hills. And I actually grew up going down those hills as a kid, but anyway, um, but they were just getting after it and competing. And I think some of that's gotten lost in the game because it's, Hey, hey what measurables can I hit? What's my exit speed? What's this? And I think there's a balance between them. Like, okay, you can't just like only focus about winning and then not training on top of that and hitting some measurables like like exit speed and trying to develop and get better like that. But I think what's happened is, is it's all outcome based and very low winning, right? Very like very median or very low, low, low competition levels, meaning like we have seven showcases and seven showcase games and we have practice games and that's all great. But if you're not trying to win those games, then you just lose it. You lose it. And you think about how in college, um, when you're in those, you know, when we're playing Indiana at the time, how emotionally like draining that is, or when you're playing Michigan and how loaded their lineup was back then um, and how like emotionally draining one game is. Right. So imagine if you spread that out in two days, we're going to play 10 games that can, and you're not, and we know that you can be emotionally drained after like one game, then obviously something's not being prioritized in those settings. So I think winning, but like long story short, winning is to me is a big, big part of what we do and try and like, Hey, you're trained, you're, you're training, but you're also competing at the same time. Right. And I think as an athlete, it just makes decision-making so much easier too, you know? Oh yeah. Like what bugs yeah. me so much. So I've been spending a little bit of time on TikTok just because I like to see what young athletes are doing and they're all over it. And I cannot tell you how many TikToks are made where coach is calling a bunt signal and the athletes like, screw that. I'm going for a home run. And I can't, and it bugs me so much that athletes are like loving and sharing and like, oh yeah, like screw the bunt. And I'm like, if you want to win, you got to advance runners. And if you want to win, you have to sacrifice yourself. And so that mentality right now of just people being, you know, selfish in their own stats, I'm like, it, that's not what it's about. Yeah. It's well, it's just, I think just over time that's just kind of come the become the priority of social media and it's like you know i take a one picture and i see what who can like it i'm not i think social media can be a great tool because i got a lot of things from it um but i think what's happening is we've become so obsessed with the self and you know one of the things that i think of like you know people say well hey you know never bunt and I'm thinking like, if you are a good enough hitter, you won't need to bunt. And so some people are, they're kind of unrealistic about that. So, you know, to the point of your TikTok, like how many of those hitters would say like, yeah, I don't need to bunt because I'm going to hit a bomb, right? Like no coach is going to be like, okay, hey, I think you have a really good chance. Like if you're hitting 500 or 400, 
and you have a slugging percentage of in the you know the thousands you're not gonna the coach isn't gonna bunt you right so being realistic on what kind of hitter you are and then people thinking like well yeah i'm not that kind of hitter like but but you probably are you know like you probably need to bunt that situation because you're gonna get out like just this is the way the numbers work so like there's people and we kind of say the same thing with our team like being a well-rounded athlete being able to do anything and you know if like if jocelyn uh if jocelyn allo comes up you know we're probably not going to bunt her but if she's having a really bad day and we kind of can feel like hey her confidence maybe isn't there and it's always there she's always confident but i mean there's times where you got to be looking into like okay there are times where that might be necessary. And so, yeah, to go back to your point, I think the game and just society in general has really taken, um, taken a priority of the individual and not necessarily things that are like bigger than yourself. And that's just, we're just talking about sports right now. So, um, but yeah, that's, I don't know. We, and we see that happen a lot. Like kids don't know how to bunt, kids don't know how to put the ball in play because in order to go to all fields, oppo, pull side, or, you know, hit a ground ball, line drive. That, that's what I tell some of our hitters is like, you should be able to do anything and everything you want, especially on front toss. Someone's front tossing you and I say, hey, pull a ball. You should know how to pull a ball or hit a ground ball, hit a line drive, hit a fly ball, hit an oppo. Okay, how do you do this? How do you do that? And so ones who can do that, I think are really special athletes. I agree. I agree. And I think, so last week, I did a, a, actually, oh no, wait, was it this week or last week? Oh no, it was last week. Um, and by the time this airs, it won't be last week, but I did an entire podcast on versatility and how you need to be able to know how to one, you know, play other positions. Cause I don't know if you don't know this, but when I first got to Purdue, I was an outfielder only and had played a little bit of shortstop in high school, but you know, knowing how to play other positions helps you respect other positions, but also that comes from what? too yeah I was like everything well you know Kim Mar she wanted to create a full slapping lineup which I thought was very interesting I, yeah see I didn't know that yeah I, I just remember you saying like yeah I slap and Jason was like no you ain't slapping <laughs> <laughs> I know like, that's one of my favorite stories it's like wow I actually started hitting home runs when I was calling myself a hitter um but yeah it's that's you know another story for another day but versatility is everything I mean from whether you're hitting to playing defense, it's so crucial to be able to help your lineup and do whatever it takes to win. Um, which I think a good segue would be talking about the championship mindset. So that hashtag is one of my favorites. Um, I probably talk about it too much on my live shows whenever I do them every Monday. Um, but it's, it's such an amazing and fun, uh, just mentality. And, you know, your program has adopted that and therefore has won many championships. And so, I don't want to take up too much of your time, but I only have two more questions for you. Uh, but that was definitely one that I could not walk away not asking uh, because it's it's something that I'm curious. Like, how, how did it come about? How does your team adopt that mentality? Championship mindset. Yeah, so in 2016, um, we it was just all about, like, okay, because Lauren and Shelby – and we had a great senior class, Lauren Chamberlain, Shelby Pinley. They just graduated. We had eight freshmen, um, I think six sophomores at the time, maybe. But half, over half our team were underclassmen. 
and so we had a great senior leadership in uh, Katie Self, Aaron Miller, and they had won it their freshman year, but they didn't even really play. And so, you know, we were watching, I think it was Russell. Wil yeah, we were watching Russell Wilson and some of the um, mic'd up stuff. And so he was, you know, he's, you constantly see him like talking and he's what a leader looks like. And I love when athletes are mic'd up because you get a real sense, not like, I like college because I think sometimes they know that they're mic'd up. And so they're like, Oh, hey, what's for dinner later? You know, some, <laughs> some dumb stuff like that. But, you know, you, when they get like those pro athletes and they're like in those high competitive states and so you really get to see what leadership looks like and seeing him encouraging people. But one of the things he would talk about is championship mindset. And so we just, we, we ran with it and it's over, it kind of evolved into some things, but it kind of got, there's a book, um, it takes what it takes that we read, uh, you know, this, the summer. And it, one of the things that really stuck out was you don't, if you want to be great, you really don't have choices. You don't like, you're going to do those things that you want that are going to make you successful. And that's, I think really what championship mindset is about. It's not like this. Um, it's not like this super secret 15 step plan that we, you know, develop is kind of the same thing like the pyramid of success you know like you make like John Wooden's pyramid of success like it's not really that hard and that's what makes it hard is because those decisions that you make each and every day are so easy but it's our just the way that we're that that we are we always want to take the easy route Whereas when you make those really good choices and you make, you have that championship mindset of always making the right choice and always doing those right things, that's what kind of propels you forward. And um, it's, it's funny because, you know, you might have some freshmen come in and they like, they wear, they get the bracelet and they wear the shirt and like, yeah, yeah, championship mindset, but we, you were late for class and you're like, oh, but you don't work hard on your own. Oh, so it's like, there'll be times where we're like, we're taking your bracelets away from you. You don't you didn't earn it. So, I mean, I don't want to say like, yeah, we are the inventors of championship mindset. There's a lot of people in this world that have had championship mindset way before, you know, we, we uh, use it as our mantra. And there's a lot of people out there that have it. They just call it something else or they you know do something else with it. So yeah, that was just kind of our, way to get people coming into OU to think like, Hey, these, this is what you got to do. And that's the mindset that you're going to adopt. And it's every day. It's not, it's like a lifestyle. It's not just something that's like, cool. It's season. So I'm going to be a championship mindset state right now. Like, yeah. yeah. And it's funny. Cause so you got Kobe behind you. And to me, it kind of reminds me of just his Mamba mentality. It's it's that's like his version of championship mindset. It's you do whatever it takes to make the decisions that you may not want to make, but you know are crucial uh, to becoming the best version of you. It just seems like something that, like you said, it's 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 hard to adopt in our brain, but really it's just making the easy decision of getting out of your comfort zone and doing what you have to do versus what you want to do. That's awesome. I love that. I love that. I Like, it makes me want to run through a brick wall right now. And it makes me regret sitting on the couch watching probably three hours of TV yesterday that I probably should have been doing something else. 
but, but I mean, to be honest, we're human though. You know, yeah. everyone's, everyone's human. And I think that's the thing too, is like, we're not going to be perfect. But I think if, um, you know, if you are actively striving to do it, then you're going to see you know, good results and, and whatnot. So. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good reminder. We are all human. We do spend too much time on our phones sometimes. I'm talking to myself. <laughs> but that's so good. So I have one final question before I'm going to ask you five to thrive, like simple, easy questions. Um, and this one has to be about, you know, working for your mom, because I'm just curious about this. So Patty Gasso, absolute legend, um, like working for your mom, it probably wasn't an idea that you had when you, well, maybe it was cause you, you grew up watching her coach, but what's it like working for, for Patty Gasso and what are maybe the top two things that you've learned from her at least so far? Well, uh, off the bat, it's great. Uh, I, and the reason why it's great is because, you know, it's you in, in anything you do, you want to have people that you can trust and people that are going to keep you on like the right path. Right. So having that in the job is absolutely like 100%, like so crucial because I mean, you just, I, I was fortunate enough to have people that, you know, I could trust and Jackie Joseph, Kim Schutte, Jason, like I could trust all those people that were there and, you know, but to have somebody as close as your family in those settings, because there's some settings where people just like blind interview and, okay, I'm really taking a chance on you. I really don't know you, but you know, and things just don't work out. But um, in the, in the workplace, having someone that I can trust and can be candid with me is so, so huge. And uh, I remember coming in in 13 or in 2012, it was like, okay, you're going to learn and this. And I, it was crazy because I kind of already knew the program standard um, just from being around, you know, softball and the program, whatever. Uh, but in 16, there was no like break-in period where there was like a Michigan State and Purdue. It was like, we'd go in and like, okay, everything that you know is from this program. So there's no like really breaking, but like, we're just going to go, we got it. So it can be, you know, like with any, with anyone, when you're that candid and you can trust someone, you're going to have your battles, but it's, I mean, they're not really even bad. You know, it's like, Hey, uh, I want to do this drill. No, I want to do, you know, and, and at the end of the day, I can't ever win anyway because one, she's my mom, but two, she's my boss, right? So like, there's two giant strikes on me. So, um, but no, it's 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 great. That's all I can really say. It's it's great. And then the two things that I've learned from her is the balance of you know my work and family and uh, just work ethic and just not letting people outwork you and knowing that there's somebody out there that is striving for the goal or whatever it is that you want. So you're almost like, you know, working against ghosts sometime where it's like, okay, there's a hypothetical person out there that, you know, wants to take your job. So you better be evolving, you know, <laughs> I don't know. That's just kind of how I'm in that competitive mode where I'm just trying to learn and stay ahead of it. So I can be well equipped. I want to be like well equipped to help our players out, not just like, Hey, I'm going to be the hitting coach and I'm going to do this. And I want, I want, no, it's just, I really want to be there for 
our players. And I know that's something that our whole coaching staff, Coach Rocha, she, people don't realize too, she um, went to OU and uh, along with you know, Coach Lombardi before that. So we're all on the same page of just trying to be the best resource that we can be for you know, our athletes. I love that. And she coached me in the pro league for a year, Coach Rocha. Yeah, no, I, One was, season. I saw your picture on uh, Zoom. I was I totally forgot. Yeah. I know. It's so funny how like just being in the game for as long as you've clearly been in it longer than me, but it is such a small world. Like it's insane. It's insane how small this world is. And, you know, going to help OU at two of your summer camps, I got to know so many people in that realm. And now some of those people have agreed to be on my podcast now. So it's just like, what is happening? What is happening? This is so cool. Okay. So I want to wrap up with asking you five quick questions Try to, I want to like add the little bit of pressure because I know we play sports, we need pressure uh, of trying to limit it to like one to two sentences per answer, just so you can just like say whatever's on your heart and we'll go from there. So I'm going to call these questions five to thrive. Okay. So we're going to end with that and then we'll kind of just see where we go from there. You ready? Uh, Okay. First one. What's your favorite part about being a coach? Going to the field every day. Good. What's your favorite part about being a dad? Uh, favorite part about being my, uh, a dad is being there for my kids. Good one. Three, who was your biggest role model growing up? Biggest role model growing up. Um, my parents. Those are mine. Good choice. Four, this, this might be hard. Take your time if you need to think about it. What's your favorite sports quote? My favorite sports quote? Yeah. Just the first one that comes to mind. Be better. That's my favorite. <laughs> it goes with everything. It's just, just be better. Is that <laughs> like, not- did it come from someone's mouth to make you love it? Or? Um, so it was just something like in, in junior college that people would just, just be better. And it was like, you can't, you know, if you get hit with a be better, there's literally nothing you can say. <laughs> so there's, true. there's not one thing you could ever say. That's so true. I love that. So now you're probably saying it like once a week to your athletes or once a day. Yeah. They, they, uh, they make fun of me sometimes like, cause you just run out of words to say, and you're like, just be better. And then that's just like your nail in the coffin. Like like mic drop. Yeah. (laughs) I love that. Okay. Final question. What legacy, what's one legacy you want to leave on your children? On my children. Yeah. Um, wow. Uh, loving people and love just loving people loving people and that's really i love it i love it god fearing kids and loving people that's it that's amazing (laughs) that's amazing well thank you so much jt for being on the podcast it was an honor having you as my first interviewee i think that's the, the proper term i'm not quite sure but this was so much fun and maybe we'll get to it again sometime yeah absolutely thanks for having me so there you have it another episode of when the cleats come off is completed and if you loved it i would love if you shared this with your softball community the only way this game grows is if we have people like you that are eager to learn more and are eager to also share that new knowledge with other people. So if this episode really 
brought somebody that you know into fruition in your brain and you know that they can learn from this conversation, I would love it if you shared it with them because the more people that can learn from this type of conversation, I think the better the game of softball gets. And who knows, maybe this will be shared with other people in other sports because I truly believe some of these conversations, they don't just hit the game of softball, they hit all sports. And if there are people that come to your brain, I would love more than anything if you shared it. If you do share it, make sure you tag me on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, whatever social platform you hang out on. I would love to see that you're sharing this and I would love to see some of your favorite parts. If you do share it, make sure to tag me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Guys, I'm even on TikTok, Ashley B Training, and at Smashly underscore four is where you can find me. And make sure you tell me which part was your favorite. I want to know what resonated with you so that I can create more content like that for you to share with your softball community. I can't wait to share another episode with you. Same time, same place next week. See you later.